My name is Sergen Spasiewicz, movie director, and you're listening to Without Your Head. Welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neil. My co-host isn't here, but he might be here uh, a little bit later. But I'm joined by Lucas Hain, director and co-writer, and Kern Saxton, the editor of Mope. It's very cool to have you guys here. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, so I got to see Mope at Boston Underground Film Festival. Um, this year, it's my second buff, and I tried to go in without like any knowledge of any of the movies, because... Uh, I, I tend to enjoy them more that way. It's, it's cool. And um, so were either of you in attendance at uh, Buff? I was. Lucas. Lucas was there. So, well, yeah. what was it like, I guess, to watch? Uh, was it the first time you saw the movie with an audience? Um, no, it, it premiered at Sundance. So there was a couple. Oh, of, oh, that's right. Yeah, there were some screens at Sundance. But this is the second festival we, we've gone to. So yeah, it was great. It was a great experience. A great crowd. Um, definitely the right crowd for the movie. You know, mm-hmm. expecting something crazy. And, yeah, they uh, pr- they promoted it as like the most uh, buff movie of buff for Boston yeah, Grand Film Festival. I think so. I mean, I feel, I feel like just seeing what their programming is like. It, you know, it's boundary pushing films that you know challenge norms and. I love their whole lineup this year. It's, yeah. uh, you know, just edgy stuff that, like, you know, it's a midnight, it's almost like a whole festival of midnight movies. Mm-hmm. Um, for pe- people uh, not aware of Mope yet, um, since, you know, it's just been a- at the festivals, can you give people an idea of what the movie is about? Yeah. Mope's a, a true story 
um, set in 2010 in LA and a mope is a low level porn actor, like some new Bukaki scenes, gang bangs, like any situation where you need a bunch of guys and a bunch of dicks, um, uh-huh. mopes are called in and they're essentially, um, extra, you know, the extras are porn and they all dream of being big stars. They want to be the next Lexington Steele, the next John Holmes, but because of various issues, like maybe they're not attractive enough or they're not well endowed or they have hygiene issues, mental issues, whatever it is, they're not going to make it. And so the movie is about two mopes, and it follows the last year of their lives. And um, I'm going to spoil something about the movie. Mm-hmm. So if you uh, don't like spoilers, turn this off. But uh, basically, of the mopes killed the other mope, uh, his best friend with a samurai sword. And so the movie mm-hmm. follows the last year in their life until, until that tragic end. Mm-hmm. And it's a very intense brutal and realistic look at this little corner of the porn business. It's not, we're not talking about vivid. We're talking about the dirty, dark trenches. Mm-hmm. And it, it involves types of content you, you might not even be familiar with, like ball busting, which is when guys get kicked in the balls by girls and they apparently enjoy it. They enjoy mm-hmm. the pain. And uh, so, yeah, the movie is a deep dive into this, this very unusual world. Yeah, were were you aware of 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 these of this world and uh, the term mopes and ball busting and stuff before you uh, you started to write the movie and get involved in the movie? Not re- kind of like I well, I wasn't I kind of heard about the the case when it happened, mm-hmm. but years later um, I was sent an article about the story an LA Weekly article, and that's kind of what got me into it. But I'd actually met a mope like five years ago, like years and years before I did the movie, I was in a, a bar in the Valley and there was this kind of weird looking guy set up in, in a dive bar and he had a laptop and he was watching porn clips of, of himself mm-hmm. where he was like, you know, just having sex with in various different scenes and he was like showing off mm-hmm. to everybody and it was creeping out like half the, the place and other people thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, only now, you know, did I realize that that's a mope. That's because that's mm-hmm. kind of like the hallmark of a mope. And, um, so then, you know, once I, years later saw that article, I went and met all the real people and they, you know, through time, I gained their trust and they let me into their lives. These are the people that survived uh, the incident Mm -hmm. and various family members too. So then, you know, it's like one of those things where you just kind of have more research involved. What? I'll go on. I'll ask you after. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to. Ask how we got involved, but uh, finish what you're saying, and then we'll get. I was just asking how Kern got involved, but uh, finish thing, and no, I can ask. I'll, I'll oh, get yeah. into that. <laughs> yeah, no. So, you know, we just researched it, and when we got deeper and deeper into it, we just found it fascinating. It's, uh, yeah. you know, we visited real sets, and you know, I become friends with a lot of the people involved. So it's kind of they gave us a window into that world. I'll pass yeah. it to Kern. Uh, I, I remember seeing, um, the, there was a standoff, uh, with the SWAT team in the Hills, uh, West Hills, uh, for like something like nine hours or something, Luke, was that something, Mm -hmm. something really long. Um, I remember seeing that on TV, uh, back in 2010, like, what's going on? Oh, dude, with the samurai sword. This is crazy. This is LA, you know? Um, and I remember hearing that he was like a fringe, like, or he was a, I guess a wannabe porn star. He he never really 
made it past like the fringes of the industry. Um, but you know, it came and went and, um, and there were several other samurai sword incidents over the couple of years. There was one of the Scientology celebrity center as well, I think around the same time. So it was kind of like a, Whoa, what's with samurai swords and people going crazy. Um, and then, you know, fast forward a couple of years, um, I met Luke through a mutual friend uh, of ours named Andy and uh, the house I was living at. And we just hit it off. And I'd made a movie called Sushi Girl that Luke liked. And um, he uh, uh, told me about this story that he, he was doing as a, a, a feature, his first feature. And, and, um, and as soon as he told it to me, I immediately remembered um, the, the standoff in the hills, I said, no shit. Like I gotta, I gotta read the script. I gotta know what, what's going on about. And, you know, he hadn't had a, he didn't have a script at that point. He was still researching. Um, and so it was about maybe like a year later, he, after a lot of talking about it, he finally gave me, uh, the draft, uh, I guess one of the earlier drafts of the script and I read it and I said, let's, you know, I, I said, you gotta let me, gotta let me be involved somehow. I'll cut this thing, you know, help you produce it or whatever. It's funny when we be involved and he's like, sure. So that's how I got on board. Mm -hmm. So how long was it to not just even the case, but to learn all these terms and the, and you said you were on, you know, sets of different movies just to learn about that whole world. Probably six months just from, mm -hmm. it took a little bit of time to get people to trust me because people in that industry are used to, uh, like filmmakers, mainstream filmmakers mocking them. And so they, they wanted, uh, you know, they wanted to make sure that I, that I was going to, you know, tell their story in an accurate way. And so it just took me, yeah, six months probably in total. And, uh, and that continues to this day. You know, I still, like the people, like, the, you know, the character that Brian Husky plays and the character that Max Adler play, I just had dinner with them last week. So oh, really? it's really just a, yeah, absolutely. It, it's, um, all the information that we were given was really just off, based off trust. It was almost like fusing a documentary and a narrative experience. Yeah. Because, uh, were, yeah. Were any of them on set to like, um, you know, give advice to any of the actors or even just, you know, how you're making the movie say, Hey, you know, this, uh, this is how it's done or this doesn't look right or anything like that. Totally. We, you know, we use a lot of, uh, real porn actors, in the movie and, mm. and the real people gave us feedback. Absolutely. But we also had like, you know, actors and actors telling us how things are done. So a lot of these little details in the movie are just based on stuff that they told us or they showed us like while we were shooting the movie, they, they, they would say, you know, do we do it like this or don't do this. So I think that's what gives it a, a very realistic feel. Mm -hmm. We were very, you know, we were very open to their uh, feedback. Yeah. So, uh, the term mope is, is that like, a is that seen as a negative if you call someone a mope? Yes. It's like a racial slur. So you would never, you would never call a mope one to their face. Cause first of all, they don't think they're mopes. When we shot the, um, opening sequence, uh, almost every single one of those guys is a real mope. So we, so we changed the slate for that day because we didn't want to insult them. And, yeah, we called it murder. Was the uh, was with the template, but yeah, but basically, you know, it's you do not want to call that to someone to their face. That's an insult. Yeah, um, you know, it, it it kind of was birthed out of this 
derogatory term when people would say that loser guys are moping around sets, you know, begging to get mm-hmm. in these scenes, looking for work, and it's never used in a positive way. Mm-hmm. It's a it, this is a weird comparison, but I'm I'm a uh, a big wrestling fan, and uh, okay. you know they call the guys that, that never win matches uh, jobbers. And when I was watching the movie, I was thinking, oh, these are like the jobbers of uh, of the porn industry. Yeah, spot on. That's exactly. That's yeah. that's exactly what it is. Spot so, on. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, when you, you did after the movie's uh, released, I don't know how many of those uh, other real people get to see it yet, but uh, were they all uh, positive on the movie? Did any of them have any? Uh, were they like uh, mad how they were portrayed or anything? No, not yet. I mean, everyone. I just showed the movie to the director in the opening sequence. Um, mm-hmm. It's doing the Bukaki sequence, and he loved it. Um, and he's kind of a legend in porn. Like he's been through everything. And then uh, at Sundance. Steve Driver's father, Steve Driver is the protagonist of the movie. His real life father was there and he, he loved the movie. He came to pretty much every screening at Sundance. And uh, so, yeah, we haven't had any negative reaction from people that live the story. Yeah. You know, we took a lot of care to make sure it's, it's very upsetting, mm-hmm. but I think they respect that it's accurate. Mm-hmm. The, the, well, first of all, Steve's dad is, um, was that hard at all to make, you know, cause you're making a movie about his son and you're talking about his, his problems and, and then he's also, mm-hmm. you're sort of involved and he's there watching the movie. How is that relationship? Like, it's very positive. You know, he, you know, I didn't, you know, like, like anything else, I was nervous as to what he would think when he first saw it, but he was at the premiere and he, you know, he loved it. He came to every screening and told me that he thought it was it very accurately captured his son and uh, like it's a movie, so there are minor differences. But in terms of what, like what his son was like, it it was a good portrayal of him. And he, yeah, he also I think said he's that very Stephen would have loved the movie um, as it turned out. It was what he would have wanted. So that was a little, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> little yeah, yeah. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, it's 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 tough because like in the scene that you see, the dad. Uh, portrayed it's, it's not really flattering but it's not necessarily negative the way the way that i think of it is this is someone mm-hmm. who tried to help his son for so for pretty much his entire life he would he saw that his son was going down a dark path and he tried and tried to help him um but he couldn't and there's a lot of backstory to this movie that that couldn't be in the movie like for instance uh steve driver a year before the movie even starts was arrested on the campus of the university of northridge because he, people were concerned that he was going to do like a, like an attack, like a shooting on the, on campus. And mm-hmm. it's murky if he was ever going to do that, but regardless, they put him under, under a 5150 hold, which is, you know, in LA, it's like they can, they can, it's a psychiatric hold. They can, you know, the doctor, a doctor would hold. And so during that stay, um, his parents were obviously concerned and they, they wanted, they consulted the city if there were options for like, putting him in a home, you know, to help take care of him. But he wasn't crazy enough to really be committed. He was kind of in that gray area. So they, mm-hmm. they let him out. And a year later, he killed Tom. Yeah. So it's uh, very frustrating. A, yeah. There's a, because there's really no villain in the movie, but there is like yeah. a sadness to everybody. So, yeah. You know, and, and watching, when you watch the movie, it's like, uh, you're thinking like if someone would, because at first, you, you know, 
you think it's a well first of all the movie has like a different tone at the beginning it's more uh, comedic and then about halfway through i think it really uh, flips around and then you get i think that really helps you uh when everything starts to break down like because then you're emotionally uh, invested in all the characters and it's a much more heartbreaking when uh yeah. you know, things go really bad for everybody you know what? That's I'm glad that's how it came across. That that was definitely our intent, and it kind of mirrors um, my experience when I first heard the story. Like there are funny details that you gravitate towards, but then once you actually start to to realize, you know, and, and start to look into the human collateral, it yeah, it, it definitely there's there's a sense of dread that you feel. Like mm-hmm. when I first, um, I vividly remember the first day that I met the real Eric and Tom, I went to the studio where the murder happened. And I, as I crossed in the, into the room, there was blood on the ceiling. And this is years after the murder. I'm like, that's not Tom's blood, is it? And they go, yeah, this is blood. We just, they just never cleaned it, cleaned it off. Like it splattered wow. up on the ceiling. Like we can't get up there. And, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I, yeah. That's yeah. I no, don't know, but I mean, that's, that's still fucked um, up. It's funny. Yeah. yeah, but that's what that's that's what that's the humor of this movie. I mean, it's very dark. Mm-hmm. It's very realistic. I mean, and and there's a lot of there's a lot of that like it's stranger than fiction. You can't make up some of this stuff. Um, it's just crazy. So whether whether you find it offensive or whether you find it humorous, I mean, that's what it was. So yeah. So, um, is is Ultima the actual name of the uh, of the DVD company at the time? Yeah, still exists. Yeah. Oh, so still exists. I was an essay. Yeah, true. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. If you want to see some so, uh, armpit sniffing, you can go <laughs> on that site right now, or ball kicking, ball busting. Yeah. You know? so I'll be going there right after the. Right after the yeah, interview. I'm sure you're, you're logging on right now. Yeah. <laughs> so what I'll say too is about 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 Steve because, like I said, the sadness for the movie. But like, as you're watching it, like. As it goes on, you're like, I wish someone would like step in and like say, "Hey, you know, you're just going too far here." But then also you have the dad character, who uh, even though he's not in it a lot, but you could tell that that he's already been doing that throughout, you know, throughout yeah. time trying to uh, trying to help him. But this might be really not like you said. He's not crazy enough to put him away. So how much help can, can you really uh, can you give him? Yeah, no, if you have an adult. Like if your kid's an adult and they, they're, you know, that he had narcissistic personality disorder and, um, and that's, you know, that's not debilitating, but it's a, you know, it's a really difficult condition and it creates a lack of awareness. So, which is why, you know, why he had these hygiene issues and like most people in porn, you know, there's a lot of people that unusual people that pursue porn. It's like a, sort of a libertine's existence, like a, re- a rebel. And so, you know, someone like Steve can easily, much easier fit in that environment than like a regular, like corporate environment where he'd be like fired the first day. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, the porn industry is a nexus for people with unusual backgrounds. And, uh, and especially the environment that he was in, because the, the content was so extreme, you know, they, they couldn't really be too picky in who they, they used. Like not many guys are willing to get kicked in the balls. Yeah. So it was sort of a, you know, he kind of, he was sort of, ex- I'm not going to really say it was exploited because he said it's something he voluntarily did, but mm-hmm. I think he thought that enduring this, all these things would somehow lead him towards his dream. And that was obviously 
I completely yeah, like you would rise idea. up, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah, it just so, created you know, a, a bigger stigma about you know what his position was in the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, for him, hurt. you know, I would say for him, you know, this is a chance to be around women to mm-hmm. to, to basically have some proximity to women because you know throughout his life he didn't. Perhaps because of his, you know, his mental condition, he had a difficulty forming relationships. He had never had a girlfriend, and so he, mm-hmm. you know, I was able to glean from his suicide note that he, he believed that becoming a porn star was the key to getting a girl girlfriend. That women would, yeah. would watch his scenes and that would give him validation, you know, as a man, and they would want to date him. And mm-hmm. uh, so I thought it was very, very interesting that he thought that, like very unusual. Yeah. When that current brought up, like, uh, he was trying to rise up, like, um, for a while in the movie, not that it's a traditional movie in any way, but it has that kind of traditional vibe where it's like, it's like, uh, America dream kind of thing. Like these are, you know, yeah. low level guys and they're going to rise up. But then, you know, obviously it, it, that doesn't happen. It's, uh, you know, horrible, uh, failure, but, uh, I like that about the movie cause it does give you that uh, when you're watching it and, and like myself, I didn't know anything about the story. You know, I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, these guys are going to rise up and become something. But that's, you know, obviously not what happens. No, but we're talking yeah, we, about them right now. So, sure, sure. You know, um, you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting end to the story. Mm-hmm. Well, they, yeah, there's they a got, lot. There's a, go on, sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead, you go ahead. I was going to say there's a lot um, about Steve, too, that uh, he obviously gets really uptight. Uh, anytime someone calls him gay, or he even though they don't call him gay, he thinks yeah. they're going to call him gay. Uh, was that something that like you talked with his dad about, or like where did that come from? So he was he was very um, he was definitely homophobic, um, mm-hmm. and certain people have different theories. Like some people think that he, you know, had identity issues. Like he may have you know had feelings. Like may have been had some homosexual feelings, but I could never really find anyone like I could never uh, clarify that at all. Mm. I think it may have been because of his religious upbringing. Like ha- he, he, he spent half his time with his mom and half his time with his dad. And he was, when he was with his mom, it was raised in a very strict Jehovah witness background. And so it's, um, you know, it, it, it created some issues I think with him just, and uh, so I think that's why, you know, why he had these reactions you know, to always want to appear very, very straight. And also he was always bullied because he, by white kids and black kids, because he didn't really fit in into a traditional role on either side. Like he was into, you know, he wasn't into sports. He wasn't into rap, anything like that. Like he was into his own thing, like sci-fi, stuff like that. And so I think all those things combined created this, this homophobia for him. And he he also like, an, an interesting thing about him is that he, he he just loved anal, like that was his big thing. Uh-huh. Like he would, that that was his preference. He would he would always go, he'd go for anal. That's his thing. And you know mm-hmm. some people found that unusual, like that he he just wasn't interested in, uh, in vagina as much. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. See, um, you you mentioned uh, Brian Husky, who is awesome. In the yeah. Movie, by the way, really the whole cast yeah. is great, but, um. Now you said that the real guy like liked his portrayal of him. Oh yeah, he's he uh, he loves Ryan Husky. Uh-huh. So yeah, 
I mean, the real Eric, is, you know, he he's very, he doesn't really care what other people think of him. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't, he's living his dream. Like he loves ball busting. Uh-huh. He does uh-huh. um, a lot of space sitting now and he just doesn't, he doesn't care what other people think. It's gross or weird. It just, it's yeah. irrelevant to him. He, he's truly living his best life, what he views as his best life. Mm-hmm. You know? Because so, the only reason I ask that, because for me, if I did pick like a villain in the movie, his character yeah. was sort of that to me, because he is almost like almost like a pimp. He's like the guy who who's taking advantage of like their desperation yeah. to, or everyone's desperation yeah. to to do something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's very, very charismatic yeah, and, and likable in his own way. You know? Yeah, that's he wants exactly. Sorry, he had the studio and he had access to. You know, he was the Walt Disney of Ultima. And uh-huh. so he, you know, he, he basically uh, created this little <laughs> playground for these guys where they could, you know, they could have a proximity to women and these porn girls that wouldn't talk to them outside of that environment. So, yeah, he had, he had power in his own little kingdom, perverted yeah. kingdom, you know. But he's nice. You know, he, like I'll tell you, like he's a very, you know, he, he's an extremely likable guy. He um he still shoots porn, you know. He he lives he lives in the valley now, and he has a garage right next to his house. And he shoots mm-hmm. porn probably five nights a week. You know, he was shooting porn on Christmas Eve. This year, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it Christmas themed or? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was like a, I think it was like he was like a perverted Santa Claus who got kicked in the ball. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, he t- this guy pops four Viagra every morning. It's like a vitamin. Uh huh. You know, I, yeah. He, I need to find out more about this guy. He's very fascinating to me. We should do it. We should do a version where he comes on the show. Yeah. Well, because he, oh, he, yeah, he's right? such a. He's he's you know because the thing that I respect about him really is that he just doesn't. I don't think I've ever met anyone who just doesn't give a fuck about what other people think. Yeah. Like, you know, he just doesn't care. Like he he lives and he you know he's not insecure about what his interests are, and that gives him a certain level of freedom that other people don't have you know he's he's a he's very sexual that's that's his drive in life i think yeah yeah i like that about him too in the movie because there's times he actually gets excited about what he's filming he's like i gotta get in here and uh yeah. it's pretty awesome yeah, <laughs> yeah. well that was basically a real life thing that i saw where like i went to a bunch of his shoots and he would usually when he does his shoots like he just it's just him and the girl and he has like the, the camera on a tripod. So he'll uh-huh. go like set up the camera and frame the shot and then he'll run back into the scene and he'll keep <laughs> running back and forth. I thought that was hilarious. And he, and he really like, you know, like, like everything about it, he loves it. He's a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. You know, he loves, well, he loves what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so in his way, his way, it is American dream for him. He's uh, succeeding in what he wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah, totally. He's not, you know, he's he's a smart guy, and uh, and like all, all like the, the scene where he gets gets kicked in the balls, like that. That's <laughs> yeah. basically almost verbatim to something like the first time that I went to his studio, I saw a shoot like that. So he was uh-huh. describing it to me, like how to, like how you do it. So that's mm-hmm. where a lot of that dialogue comes from. And uh, so he's like, you know, tense your thigh muscles. Yeah. It's a great little detail. The, yeah. the, um, when you see the shot 
of him getting kicked in the ball, the shot of the, the ball, that's a real error. Uh-huh. That's his oh, cameo. Really? Yeah, cameo. <laughs> I, took, awesome. I, I took a cinematographer into the studio, and he had a red weapon, and it was like two inches from the guy's balls as his car was <laughs> kicking it. And I'm like, I told, the, I told the DP, it's the greatest thing you'll ever shoot. Uh-huh. And uh, so he thought that would be a fun cameo, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess using the term DP can mean different things yeah, when you're exactly. shooting a movie. About <laughs> <it>. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not that I know anything about. <laughs> right. So yeah, uh, uh, well, what is that? Tell uh, us, explain to us. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, Kern, when you're editing the film, like I've always wondered yeah. this. I've never had a director and the editor on the same time. Like, yeah, because the editor really, I think, is the one who really forms a story in a movie, you're the last person to do that. So like how hands on is Lucas and like, how does that whole process go? I think it, well, for me and Luke, it was a fantastic working relationship. Um, It's one of the, you know, what was one of the easiest jobs I've ever had really. Um, I, he gave me a lot of freedom in the edit. Um, He, he, you know, I assume he wanted, he wanted someone who was going to bring their own kind of their own ideas to the table as well. Not just be somebody who was just doing, doing his bidding. And, um, and, you know, he told me like, you know, feel free to experiment. You know, I want to, you know, I want to, I want someone to do things that I wouldn't normally think of. So, um, you know, I, I was, I've been involved in the movie since, you know, since it was a script and uh, I was on set, um, I was the DIT, but when I wasn't doing that, I was also, um, behind monitor, you know, offering my suggestions to Luke to see, you know, you know, he had any issues he was trying to work around on set with the actors or something that, you know, so I had done this before. So I was there kind of offering my perspective on that and also being there to make sure that we got all the coverage that we needed because, um, a lot of times with young filmmakers who've never really done a movie before, they, they don't necessarily know until after the fact that everything that they, everything that they need to have in the edit. So, um, because I've, you know, done the editing for quite a few, a few projects. Um, I've, I've kind of developed that sense of, you know, this is, we don't need to bother with getting that, you know, but I need a pickup shot here. So that was a lot of, of the input that I had on there. Um, and so I knew once we got into uh, the editing bay that we had everything that we needed. Um, there were a few, there were a few scenes that maybe we, you know, we did go back and do pickups, but it was a very, um, it was really a thing where he just kind of let me put it together the way I saw it. So, um, so I feel like there's a lot of me in there too. Um, but, uh, you know, he, I think that's the mark of a great, a great filmmaker who's very collaborative. Um, and that's how you get I think, the best out of your team letting them um, have a lot of freedom in, in what they do too, so that they feel a sense of ownership over the material. Mm-hmm. How did you uh, get into the editing uh, part of filmmaking? Um, I kind of by necessity, really. Um, I actually went to school for directing and, um, uh, you know, that's always what I wanted to do and, and I have done it and I'm still doing it, but, um, the editing came by because I didn't really, I didn't have any money. Um, and I didn't like, you know, I couldn't just like go, you know, I had some friends, 
but at the same time, I also, you know, didn't, they, they were working regular jobs, you know? And so I had had a pretty good foundation with, of editing, um, from stuff I did in high school and stuff I did in college. And then when I moved out to LA, a lot of the work that I found was editing. So I was doing shorts on my own with some friends and I was just, I was just cutting things, that stuff together, um, because I was, you know, I, you know, it was just easy for me to do it and it was no cost. And then I started getting work, um, doing other things like shorts and, you know, sizzle reels for like reality TV and stuff like that. And then, um, uh, and then I, you know, came time to do my first feature. So, um, by that time I had really built up that editing muscle and it was a, a matter of time and money. And I said, well, I'm just going to cut it myself. And, uh, and so that was a really quick compared to what it probably would have been if I had brought another editor on, um, just, just mm-hmm. in the process of me having to tell someone else what I wanted to get out of the edit, um, might've taken longer, um, and then cost more money to do. Yeah. So, um, it really, and then after that, uh, because of that movie, uh, I got, I started, I cut all the trailers for Sushi Girl as well. And, um, and mm-hmm. that's when the distributors saw the trailers and they were like, we really like these trailers. Can we hire you to do some more trailers for us? And so I started getting into that. So it's just been kind of a weird, you know, warming through to now I'm, at, I'm, I'm doing mope and, you know, we, yeah. we we took our sweet time with it and got in the Sundance, so uh-huh. we're doing something right. So yeah, yeah. I, I I love this. Uh, this is very original, and uh, um, I will say, um, you know, to be fair, the it was not necessarily negative, but um, when I talked to to a lot of my friends and stuff that were at Buff, the one thing that a couple people said were that uh, they were into the beginning because they thought it was funny and then uh when it becomes serious you know it, it was hard for them to watch i'm personally more of the opposite i like the funny stuff mm-hmm. but I, I personally like when the movie becomes more serious and it's uh, more depressing but uh yeah. but I, I heard people on both sides so it's, yeah well uh, i right yeah about I said, going. oh I said, <laughs> i'm sorry i i i've said that this movie is a litmus test for how dark your sense of humor is um, because yeah. there is, there is, like you said, there is a point where it changes over and it's, and it's not pretty. Um, but, but up until that point, there's, there's certainly a gradation of, of, of sickness to the humor that, that, sure. you know, how, how far can you last? How much can you laugh? You know? Uh-huh. So um, it's interesting to see the reactions because they're both, I think, I think it's both valid to have a, uh, to laugh at something that you, you also find disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, whether you, whether you think that it's funny because it's disgusting or whether you're just appalled by it. I mean, those are both valid reactions to film. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I was want to ask about sushi girl real quick, because when I uh, interviewed sure. Cody Tan years ago, uh, he talked about a lot about sushi girl and it wasn't necessarily positive oh, because cool. not that he didn't like the movie, but it was that um, at the time he, it was the most, uh, I think he said it was the most torrented movie of that year. Yeah. And so, uh, he said people would come up to him and say, you know, does that make you proud or whatever? And he's like, no, it's like, I put my actual <laughs> money in this and then, you know, people. Yeah. So, uh, I, I don't know if, if at first, I guess just work with Tony Todd and, uh, and, and torrents of, of movies. Um, well, I love Tony. Tony's great. Um, uh-huh. uh, uh, so, 
the situation with Suchi Girl and the the pirating was, uh, you know, is an interesting one because you know I I went online and I and I directly addressed you know people on torrent sites and said you know just stated the fact the reality of it is that you know we make these movies for pennies on the dollar and you know we don't we're not millionaires we don't go home and you know you don't have like yachts in our backyards we're just really trying to put food on the table and make more movies and i think the 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 sad thing about people who just pirate the stuff and don't you know don't pay for it in any form uh really it really stunts the growth of of um of artists uh and their and their careers and um you know it's it certainly has set me back a bit um you know because if you don't if you make a movie and it doesn't make money you know people are less apt to hire you um you know whether it's a big success on the torrents or not they don't care because it's a business so it has to be self-sustaining and and at the point where it doesn't become self-sustaining you know it's is you know all bets are off so it's hard it was very difficult for me to get another project set up um with sushi girl under my belt because um a lot of that revenue had just evaporated um into thin air and um it was it was the kind of movie that you know like a lot of people i i think it's it's you know, I've heard, I talked to James Duvall uh, not too long ago, and he said that and he does all of these horror conventions and a lot more people, he's noticed that a lot more people are coming up to him with Sushi Girl stuff to sign. And he says, you know, sometimes it takes like 10 years for these movies to really find their audience, these like cult movies. And so, yeah. and, I, and I've seen Sushi Girl referred to as like the best movie you've never heard of, you know, like that kind of thing, um, which it's a really bittersweet thing for me because, Mm. that's great. I'm glad that it's finding its audience. I'm glad that there are people that appreciate it. But at the same time, I feel like I missed out on, on, a, on, on that wave of, of being able to get more movies set up and, and, and go out and do that stuff. And, and, you know, really, you know, Mope, Mope kind of brought me back into the fray in a way, uh, cause I had just kind of gotten used to doing trailers, um, and, um, starting a family and all that stuff. And, uh, and so getting back on set and doing Mope and being invo as involved as I was was really refreshing, um, especially speak because it was such a um, a personal project uh, to the people involved. And it was such a, a, a passion project because it was not a big budget. Um, and, you know, it was it was a lot of artistic freedom. Uh, and, and that's that's really the way I'd love to make movies. Um, and And unfortunately the business side of things is, is somewhat antithetical to that, you know? Um, Cause I've got a lot of, I got a lot of cool stuff in the works, but it's tough when, you know, you don't have um, a stellar track record in terms of monetary returns for your investors. So mm -hmm. it's tough. Um, so yeah, I mean, Tony, if you got, if you got that kind of feeling from Tony, you know, it's, it's spot on. Cause I know he thinks it's a shame too. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll blame many. I've I've been kicked out of Facebook groups where, you know, it's about like the love of of movies, and they'll be sharing you know torrent links. And I'm like, well, this isn't a great way to support the movie, and they're like, they, and hard, no one will take my side. They'll actually just get mad at me. And kick yeah, me out. it's, it's well, very, because they think it's very bizarre. Just, um, yeah, I they think, think I it's think just it's, a cheaper I, way to watch a movie. I don't think they think there's anything wrong with it. Well, yeah, no. I mean, I think a lot of it is that they they kind of a lot of the 
people that are doing it these days kind of, they grew up before, um, you know, before that was what it was mm-hmm. before when it was piracy. And you were like, Oh man, you get thrown in jail for bootlegging a movie, you know, on your camera right. and your theater or whatever. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I, I grew up on VHS and DVD and Laserdisc. So it was, you know, I, the blockbuster model and the ne- Netflix was, uh, I still get DVDs from Netflix. I still get physical media. Um, and that's just going away. And so part of it is that it's, it's an easier, more convenient way for these people to do it. But at the same time, like, I think you can't discount the fact that like everyone wants something for nothing. So it's mm-hmm. hard. And, and once, once it's available for nothing and, it's freely available in a way they can easily pluck it out of the ether, then um, it's difficult. Even when you're offering it at pittance for like one or $2, that was yeah. what really bothered me about sushi girl was that, you know, I, some of the feedback I got from these people was, why don't you put up a, um, a PayPal account and put it up on your website? And so we did that and we got like maybe a grand total of $300 that doesn't yeah. pay our bill. You know, it doesn't pay off it. the, the, if every um, person but, who but torrented Sushi Girl paid twenty five cents, the film would have put it. Yeah. It millions of torrents. Yeah, no, I would have been. I, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be having this conversation if that was the case. But that's just yeah. not people. People pay you lip service a lot, but they don't follow through. Um, and I think, I, but I think the other thing, the other big problem is that, um, you know, not to get too political right now, but this whole Trump thing with the Mueller report and how it's like the the buzzword now is just no collusion. It's very simple. It's a very simplistic mm-hmm. representation of what of what was actually said. And I feel like that is sort of the sim- the same thing with the with the pirating is that a lot of people, they just lump it all together into Hollywood and they say that Hollywood yeah. is um, they're all it's a bad business practice and that we should all. We should we should be getting one over on them because they're just taking advantage of of, of the artists. But but the, the true irony is that because they're not paying for it, we we get even less. And so their behavior has actually contributed more to um, the 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 prices of acquisitions going down as well. So mm-hmm. it's it's all it's all it's an ecosystem, and you have to you have to have it pr- balanced properly, or it's not going to um, be fair to anyone, but really the middlemen who can, who figured out how to make money in, in situations where, um, you know, it doesn't look like there's a, there's a huge market for things, you know, like they, they're mm-hmm. somehow these companies still make money. Um, but in, in, at the same time, you know, it's like the record industry before, before Napster and all that stuff, there was so much money that even if you were, uh, a fringe band and you were still, you're still getting, you know, decently paid mm-hmm. compared to now where it's like, if you're a fringe band, you know, what's your alternative Spotify for cent for a cent, a stream or something like that, or if that, if that, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. something like, what is it like Daft Punk getting, uh, like $13,000 for the, <laughs> the a monster hit of a song, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's just crazy. Um, and that's where movies are now. Um, because DVD is dwindling and, and streaming is taking over as the dominant way people are consuming things, but the, but the revenues aren't the same. So what you're seeing is a, is a lot more um, risk averseness in the industry. And so certain kinds of movies are not being made um, in the system anymore. Um, Mope would definitely never have been made in the Hollywood system. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're hoping that, 
you know, that it'll, it'll make its money back and, and do well financially um, and find its audience. But at the same time, it's like the, you know, the, 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 the chips are stacked against us, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so um, how, how did, uh, how did you get David Arquette involved in the movie? Uh, through traditional casting, um, our casting director, directors Kelly Roy and Morgan Robbins do a lot of big horror films. They do most of James, James Wan's movies. Mm-hmm. And so they have a lot of pull. So you know, they just did The Haunting of Hill House, too. They, and so they um, just reached out to his agent, and uh, he read the script, and it was easy. He, uh, okay. It took a couple of days, you know? Yeah, we, we yeah, cast him yeah. pretty late in the process. Mm-hmm. He's and, great in the uh, movie. Well, thank you. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> yeah, he's fun to work with. He's very uh, the, the, he, he was uh, the one scene in the movie for for me that's uh, the hardest to watch is the second uh, cuckold scene uh, uh, with the uh, uh, with the drug addict girl. That's uh, yeah. mm-hmm. that's yeah, a, definitely the was, darkest scene in the movie. It was being yeah. the toughest to shoot too. It was we had that vibe on set like like the feelings that you feel when you watch it like that's how everyone felt when we were shooting it so we knew we knew there was something there yeah i didn't when i when i the morning of that shoot i was like i, I kept like i was nervous to shoot the scene because i was like how am i gonna like I, of course i had like a, a shot list but i kept thinking like how am i gonna you know do this scene and uh not showing any nudity or anything but just create this like feeling of dread that I wanted to create and um and the actual shooting of itself wasn't that bad it was um but it was it was just intense mm-hmm. but the actress uh, well Tanya, I mean you would you you called cut and no one wanted to say anything it was it was like it yeah was, everyone was just really introspective that day yeah it just it, it, it's you know there's a level of human misery it, it taps into that um you know and certain there's a lot of stuff in that scene that wasn't even in the script it just manifests itself from shooting it. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, that's, that was a tough scene, you know? Yeah. It's, it's kind of the culmination of all the negative sides that you think of like pornography where, uh, yeah. first you think everyone's, you know, having a good time or whatever, but then this is, this can be the reality for a lot of people where it's, you know, they're not enjoying it and they don't want to be there, but they are. And it's just, uh, yeah, it was, a, it's a great, it's not necessarily an enjoyable scene, but it's a great scene. Well, thank you very much. And the one happy footnote I can say about the scene is, is the, the Tanya or the character Tampa in the movie is -hmm. sort of a composite, but the person she's really based on is living a a good life now and completely got out of that scene. And so, um, I think, you know, that's, (laughs) that's a positive footnote on it, but it was, it is intense. You know, sometimes you do these, you know, like you just don't know how, what, what it's going to happen. And, you know, it's, Mm-hmm. unpleasant as the scene is, I think it captures what we were going for. Yeah. So, um, how about just, you said, no, you don't even want like a lot of nudity and stuff. Uh, the movie itself doesn't really have a lot of nudity when you're going yeah. it, when you think about making it, like, uh, what's the thought process? Like how are we going to shoot the sex scenes? Do we show a lot? Is it going to be graphic? It's not going to be graphic. I, you know, I knew it was going to have a decent amount of nudity. Just not, I didn't want to have like, I wanted it to be like functional and not titillating. Uh-huh. So it's just sort of like, it's like, you know, observational camera. So you're, you know, if you happen to see, if someone's going to be naked in a realistic way, we'll show it. But we're not going to go out of our way to like, 
do like like salacious shots. Like we didn't want that at all. And uh, and like the opening sequence, you know, we could have shown more nudity, but we thought it'd be more interesting if you we kind of held off till the end. Yeah. Last shot of that sequence. Um, yeah. Give but in that general, shot you know, a lot more power. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In general, we just kind of what we felt was right. You know, like a lot of the scenes. Um, like if someone was really going to be naked in that scenario, then I would just have them naked. Mm-hmm. I sort of let reality dictate how how we would do that. Mm-hmm. So, we're a question, but what what do you use for uh, for I assume features uh, when you're making a, when you're yeah. filming a bikini <laughs> scene? Uh, soap. Like we use soap, the same okay. thing. Yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> well, basically, what they you know, I'll never forget that on um, on the election of uh, the election eve of Trump. I had taken the lead actors to a real Bukaki shoot. And so they saw a real one and there was a sense of dread in the air that made it even more crazy. Cause it was that it was the, the results were coming in late at night. And, uh, and I saw the way they would do it is they, they would enhance what was already on the girl's, the actress's face with soap. So it gives it that like, you know, white look they're going for. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, so it's sort of what they're doing is fake, you know, combination yeah. real fake. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, how long did it take to uh, to shoot shoot the movie and get it edited? Fifteen days uh, to shoot it. Fifteen days yeah. to shoot it, and then we we spent what a year and a year and a half to edit. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't like every day constantly. Right. It was, um, yeah. but we did pickups about a year after we shot the the did the original. 15 days and what was it like yeah, a day or two of pickups? Yeah. Yeah. yeah day, so pick yeah. And it was, and it wasn't anything, it wasn't anything major. It was all like really like, real, like connective stuff. Um, we, we, the first cut was like two and a half hours long and it was, it was like full of good stuff. Um, so we really had to spend a lot of time to figure out how to, uh, condense it in a way without losing anything um, important or emotional uh, character wise. So um, we really, that was a lot of, I mean, it just, it was a process and, um, and because we didn't have anyone breathing down our neck, you know, to tell us, you know, say this is what you have to do and you have to do it by this date. We really took our time to, to get it right. And I think that paid off really well. So the uh, the trailer that's out just like a is a two minute you know scene or so is that mm-hmm. is that going to be the actual trailer or if you not you know made a like oh, a no. traditional trailer we, yeah we've cut a trailer, we a trailer but we haven't released anything yet so okay yeah yeah we'll probably it have works, more though. than one <laughs> yeah because I think if you watch those those you know that the trailer is out there and uh, and you're interested you're you're going to be interested in the movie. Oh, totally. Yeah, I think that clip is very much a it, it's the point in the movie where you really understand what what the tone is intended to be. It's it's both hilarious and horrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I'm um, not so a massacre. So you know, yes, <laughs> I do too. It's one of my favorite horror movies. Yeah, and there's something Same about Straight Saw Massacre just feels wrong while you're watching it. It feels like a exactly. just dirty movie. No, just watch it. Yeah. That was the main inspiration for the style of the movie was that from the moment when it, like I didn't see Chainsaw until like 
crazy enough, I didn't see it until like six, seven years ago. And it was a, a screening with uh, Toby, like introducing the film. And I was oh, so geez. blown away with like a great, you know, the first time it was like a DCP of it, but it, it still looked great. And, um, and I just, from the moment the movie comes on, there's something off about it. Mm-hmm. And just, it's just this relentless tone. Like, I, I, I don't even know how to describe, you know, but, but it's, it's just, um, just from the very moment, like, it, it starts, you get this bad feeling, right? Yes, yeah, but there is also a lot of humor in it, too. You know? Yes. Yeah, I, yeah. I've said that before the show. A lot of people think part two, well, obviously part two is a, a comedy, but yeah. I think part one, the first movie is very funny, too, and I'll think everyone thinks that, but uh, but I definitely do. <laughs> no. I like the dinner scene, I agree. Course. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's that's what makes that's another thing what makes the movie brilliant is, is that you would never think there would be humor in that story, but mm-hmm. it's just um, yeah, I mean it's it's just it is just genius. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and I think, uh, uh, I think anything the cook does makes me laugh at the movie. Yeah, everything I mean, what he's poking <laughs> the girl in the anything the cook yeah. does makes me laugh like poking the girl in the sack and yeah yeah, awesome. yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it, I mean, it, it, you'll probably enjoy this, but I remember um, when I was, it was around the time of, uh, do you remember there was a documentary that Scorsese did for the adult, the Rolling Stones? Yeah. Um, what was it called? Um, yeah. It was like an IMAX. And I remember we went to see it and, and Keith Richards on an, his face, like old Keith Richards on an IMAX screen. All I could think of was the grandpa. That's all <laughs> I could think of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, and uh, I yeah. like that they they make the they make the guy in the wheelchair like totally unlikable. Like you're almost like rooting for him to uh, you kind of your way yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which you know they would never yeah, do true. today. I think. No, yeah. that would never fly today. <laughs> <laughs> He's a villain. Yeah, I think it's, I yeah. just love they just made that movie at completely outside the system, and they it just it's a early original. It's like yeah. Like just just the way they do everything, like well, like the first time you see Leatherface, it's like a uh, comes out of nowhere, right? Just pop, and yeah. it happens so suddenly. Even that's yeah. an incredibly bold move. I don't think other filmmakers would do that. They would have like this whole tense lead up, and it just happens. Yeah, that, that, that's what's so scary about the film. You don't know what's going to happen because of mm-hmm. the filmmaking. And just yeah, yeah and I think and a lot of the, too. It is yeah. There's great shots. I know you know. The one scene's kind of iconic because you're seeing the the girls, you know, uh, but 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 that shot is beautiful though. The this the you yeah. know the blue, oh, the the low, blue sky the over the house and everything. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Under the swing, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, Daniel Pearl, right. amazing cinematographer. Yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. I think it's yeah, one no. of the best horror movies made. It's yeah. It's in my top five favorite movies of all time. I mean, it's just you know who was saying that. I think Billy uh, Scott was, it, it inspired a lot of the tone of Alien, oh, wow. uh, which I found incredibly unique. Mm-hmm. There was a documentary at Sundance called Mem- Memory about the origins of Alien, and it goes into a lot of this stuff. But I was mm-hmm. surprised to hear that but it makes sense when you watch Alien, like all the, the weird yeah. of sound design and the, the tone. But I was like, mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many filmmakers that, that Chainsaw inspired. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I know you mentioned seeing the because I've seen a screening of it in, in the original thirty-five millimeter, and it was a bad print. And then I've seen the, the yeah. restoration, but I actually think that's one movie that looks better, like the old like bad print, because right. uh, 
when it's too like cleaned up, it takes away from the movie. Like uh, seeing yeah, like a dirty print of it really adds the whole feel. Yeah. yeah, that's another one. That's good. I haven't seen it. I should see it that way because it's like yeah, it's like a dirt. It's a film that's like a like a a film you shouldn't be watching. It's uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Even that sound right love, at the beginning I mean, from like the the camera that they're doing is like wow, wow, and that yeah. that's just yeah. the yeah, the weird note. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, that was a great sound that they found. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just so, uh, so good. Yeah. So where does Mope go from here? And oh, by the way, before you answer that, did you get your trophy um, from uh, from your award at, at at Boston Underground Film Festival? I think uh, I think Nicole is going to give it to me when she comes into, into town oh, okay. in a couple months because she didn't want to ship it because it could be uh, damaged. She yeah. Said. Yeah. It's very fragile, I, I believe. Yeah. So I'm very happy with it, but yeah, it'll be good to see her again. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. So so uh, I was at the award ceremony, so I was very happy that, that it won. Where does Mope Thank go from, uh, from, from the, I guess, more festivals? And then, like, what do you, where do you hope Mope goes from here, I guess? We're going to do a bunch of more festivals this year, and then it, it'll come out later in the year or early mm-hmm. next year. So we'll do some of the um, cool, like very interesting genre festivals later in the year. And um, yeah, so th- they'll be announced when the lineups are announced, but there's some really good ones in the, that we're going to go to. Yeah. So we're excited about that. Good to see, see some other countries, you know, and I thought one of the greatest, you know, I haven't had a lot of festival experience, so it was really, it's been really enjoyable to meet other filmmakers um, that I really res- respect, you know. Yeah, that, that was a great. I just started doing buff. last year. Yeah, last year Buff was my first film festival, and I, I started doing them because I had a great time. And uh, it's wild because everyone hangs out, and other filmmakers, yeah. like you said, they get together and they collaborate, and it's uh, just an all-around very positive experience. Yeah, and you meet people like you know, like a, I met you know Travis Stevens. I loved Cheap Thrill, Sorry yeah, Eyes. Yeah. And I told you. Yeah. Did you see kind of Tone Deaf? What's that? Did you see Tone Deaf? I did see Tone Deaf. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. I liked Richard it a lot. Bates, yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, he it was has... like this original. Yeah, I loved. I loved a lot of like, lines in it. Oh yeah, when they turned the camera and break the fourth wall. Because I really enjoyed his um, last film, Trash Fire. And mm-hmm. uh, I, yeah, I really respect filmmakers like him. I feel like I'm in mean, that crowd who just kind of they really have their own style and they don't it's sort of uncompromising and um and i think that's that's what makes this stuff interesting it's just like there's no one else that makes movies like that guy and they're very unique mm-hmm. yeah. like i wouldn't i would have a hard time describing tone deaf because it's like it's got these scary you know it has horror elements but it's also it's definitely funny too mm-hmm. like very funny yeah yeah yeah, probably my favorite. My favorite scene is I think uh, when he turns to the camera and he's just like, because the one guy says something about he had dreams to do whatever, and he's just like, "In my day, we didn't have dreams." And I just thought like that's <laughs> yeah. like the, the most hilarious yeah, line yeah. I've ever heard. And the delivery was perfect, and it's very deadpan. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know how accessible it, was, it is to you know what 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 it works for me, but I don't know if it's something for everybody. I think it works for people. Anybody who likes original movies, you know, and likes yeah. Yeah. Like doesn't like it's 
which I think there are a lot of people. You know, I think it's. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I like when a movie swings for the fences like that and just mm-hmm. commits to what it's doing, and uh, it's got great performances. And you know, I mean, it's, I think it's clearly a good film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved it. No, yeah, I had a great time about though. Like I said, it was a great. Movie. Yeah. What did you think of Nice Plus Hard? That one I did not see because um, yeah. I I'm re- I was recovering from surgery in February, and by the the fourth and fifth day, uh, it was very uncomfortable sitting in theater seats, so I, I had to miss a few things. Yeah. Uh, okay, it's really interesting. I think it's definitely worth watching. Yeah, it's very I, do, I did. Yeah, I did get the screener, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, catch up on it. Yeah, amazing score too. Yeah, it's I I like the what I heard about it. It sounds very interesting. It's like a weird giallo with a kind of like a cruising version of a giallo, I guess, or a giallo version yep. of cruising. I don't know, but I'll, yeah, I'll check. It that's out. exactly what. Oh, that's uh, exactly what it is, and it has this like I didn't realize the, the lead actress is, is uh, Johnny Depp's ex-wife, and I, I knew she was an actress, but I didn't see much of her work. But she is a, is so good in that movie. Um, mm-hmm. Just, just a, a great performance. So it's, uh, it's definitely. I think you'll really enjoy it. Like hearing the kind of movies you like, you'll, you'll, you'll really enjoy it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I, I really dug Mope, and I hope people check it out. It's not necessarily a horror movie, but uh, it's a genre movie. It's weird. It's strange. It's original. And I hope, uh, I hope people find it and check it out. I, I dug it. And uh, there's again a website, right? Like mopemovie dot com. You can go and follow yeah. it. You can follow yeah. it on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Instagram and Twitter, yeah. Yeah. Let's see where it's going next. So uh, how about yourselves? Do you have like personal uh, Twitter or social media pages you want to plug? Or do you want to send people to Mope? Send them to Mope Mope movie. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Very cool. Streamline it. Well, I I enjoy talking to you both, and I love the movie. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us on. So excited to be here, and thank you very much, yeah. Very cool. And I was looking and at a lot of you guys did. Amazing. All right. Yeah, I've been doing yeah. the show for a while. So. And I've got, yeah. I did some uh, some interviews that I have to get, I have to get uh, posted, but at a great time. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Trying to th- I was trying to think if there's any episodes that are connected to Mope. I don't know. But th- there's a lot of weird, a lot of weird people I've interviewed. So check them out. They're, they're fun. Yeah. <laughs> And if you do, if anyone is into coming on the show, that uh, either cast members or the real life people, I'd be all for that. Okay, yeah, cool, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll ask, we'll yeah. run that at the flagpole. Yeah, that's that sounds fun. Get right, the yeah. get the real Eric on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one would be pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. Right, well, I appreciate you guys like on. Husky and Eric at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, would, that would be cool. All right, thanks, guys. All right, thank Same you. Thanks a lot. This is Brie Olson, and you're listening to Without Your Head.
beings, and you are listening to WithoutYourHead.com. All right, we're back here at the station of decapitation with that. And I'm still asking Neil. And I remain terrible, Troy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a big thanks to Lucas Hine, who I believe I mispronounced the last name, <laughs> and Kern Saxton on uh, from Mope, which uh, is a fantastic movie. It's uh, not, you know, this is a horror show. It's not actually horror, but uh, it definitely fits the underground weird uh, film. Oh, we like the underground and, uh, weird. The true story, and I found out, you know, it's uh, even the, the people that was that it was about were like on set and had, you know, uh, hands on to, you know, make sure that it was like accurate to uh, oh, to nice. the people. Well, that's pretty very sweet. weird movie. Is it's that very original? Yeah, very very sad movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, very powerful movie. Definitely recommend it. I had a great time at uh, at the Boston Underground Film Festival. Yeah, and tell me more about that. That was, what, five days in Boston? Five days of underground films. Uh, the good people, Michael Epstein and Sophia Cassiola, uh, let me stay on the couch for the first couple nights. That, very nice. That was very cool. Uh, I also ate ve- vegan food, which, you know, going in, I'm a little scared of, but it was <laughs> ended up being delicious. A little skeptical nice. at the beginning. Yeah. I do have to admit, I didn't tell anybody at the time. Oh. Uh, I did sneak off one day and, and go get uh, Frank's uh, steakhouse. Ah, that sounded pretty awesome, too, yeah. though, Neil. But, you know, I got, I'm eating well, but you still have to get a steak once in a while. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, Boston Underground Film Fest. Oh, God. Let's see. There's tons of shorts. That, that were wild. It's hard to remember all the shorts. I should have wrote, wrote down notes, but uh, a lot of great shorts, and they have them in different blocks. They have like a homegrown horror, so it's uh, uh, local ones in New England. Nice. They had a comedy horror block. Uh, um, they have, uh, I, I missed the midnight one on the one night. They have like a midnight short block of, you know, like really crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, music video block. All oh, that stuff's very cool. Um, saw a little, you know, good stuff. Uh, Georgie, which is a, a short movie about uh, if Georgie from It, you know, grew up as an adult. The Obliterations of Chickens by Izzy Lee. Very <laughs> cool short. Uh, In Love is a great short. And I have a, a very nice interview with uh, the maker of it. Oh, very good. Uh, Oh, I owe you. Uh, I owe you one banana, two black eyes by by Jim McDonough. Oh, I thought you were just telling me that. I was like, wow, that's uh, kind of odd, but okay. Uh, that was wild. It was very cool to hang out with Jim McDonough. I'm gonna forget some names, but it was very cool to hang out with everybody that I hang out with. Uh, everyone was very, very nice. I had a, a great time. Uh, Movie wise, let me uh, let me pull up the uh, the list. This will be easier. Oh. And just trying to go off. Uh, memory of everything that nice. i saw did you make it to the um to the saturday morning cartoon one i did not i was going to but i ended up uh having breakfast with the father of uh, one of the directors oh okay that's pretty awesome then yeah that was cool though let me get the movies here i was planning on doing though i even got up early to go to it mm-hmm 
<laughs> Here we go. Andromeda is a short. Oh, Assassinat. That was um. That was on Sunday. That was a wild um, sci-fi horror movie. Has kind of that eighties kind of retro vibe, sort of like a Turbo Kid, but not as over the top as Turbo Kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's about you know this group of uh, kids that go to the to uh, like this moon station because that's where that's where uh, the uh, people live now, and uh, they're sent there by um, a, to meet the president. There's a, an assassinat, an assassin on the moon base who assassinates the president, and then these people, then the the kids. Uh, it's their survival tale after that land on this planet. So it's a great, great throwback feel, and also had some really gross, gooey monsters. So it was like a Ooh, best I'm of a fan of things. gross, gooey monsters. Yeah, so that we'll have the really director good. on last next week, so that's very cool. All very nice. Uh, Bees Hole, but actually, is another great short, very gross uh, short film. Bees Hole, Clickbait, which uh, I know we talked about on the show. Love Clickbait. This is one of my uh, top 13 horror movies of last year. It's horror comedy. Very cool to see it on the big screen. I was wearing my Tootstrill shirt. Nice. And Michael Dern's Cuna was wearing his Without Your Head shirt, which is very oh, nice. Very cool, too. A lot of compliments on your artwork, Troy. And uh, even oh. uh, comparison to, uh, to Crumb. Oh, well, when somebody's, you know, comparing my jazz to our Crumb, I can never have a complaint. Yeah. So uh, clickbait, uh, you know, and I also filmed uh, an interview about clickbait, which I'm not sure wh- what that, where that goes. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll find out. And I also filmed a short with Michael and Sophia, which I'm very much looking forward to. Oh, that's awesome! It's a kind of a mockumentary documentary about the loss of my belly button. <laughs> oh, you didn't even tell me about that. That sounds awesome. Really? Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. I'll tell you more off air because I don't want to spoil okay. it. Okay, all show. right. Very good. I'm, oh, man, I'm all excited about that. Yeah. Uh, Girl on the Third Floor. Uh-huh. Uh, that was good. That was really good. That was with um, CM Punk. Oh, okay. And going in, I thought he was just like a, a small character. Mm-hmm. But he's really, uh, he's basically in every scene of the movie. He's like 90% of the film. Oh, wow. He's the main character. Almost, there's other characters, but he is like the movie. Mm-hmm. But it's basically about this guy in a haunted house, and um, he has a lot of a uh, lot of uh, presence, a lot of charisma. Huh. Kind of reminded me of young Bruce Campbell. Oh, that's that's pretty awesome, then. Yeah, it's a girl on the third floor. That's who I actually had the the uh, breakfast with the father of Travis Stevens, who directed Girl on the Third Floor. Oh, very nice. So that was a good one. Uh, Hail Satan was the opening. Uh, I think it was the opening night anyway. Um, great movie. Documentary about the Temple of Satan. The yeah, I heard nothing temple. but good things about that one. It gave me new light. Uh, going in, I really did think that the, the Satanists were just trolls. And mm-hmm. they are, but with a purpose. And okay. I, have, I have to say they have, they do. Basically, so what they do, Troy. They are okay. Trolls. I was going to say their purpose isn't just to like make some money for themselves. No, I don't okay. think they even make money. Oh, so, all right. Uh, they do. They do troll. 
Uh, they don't believe in Satan or, or God or anything. But the, the way they troll is with a reason. So let's say they're putting up the Ten Commandments statue uh, at, like a, uh, at a courthouse. Yep. Or we'll, we'll start with that. So that's not right because in America you have the freedom of religion and from religion. Yep. So to mix the two. So they're like, well, if you're going to put that up, then you also have to put up a statue of Satan. Mm-hmm. So it's taking the most extreme example that you could instead of like, hey, well, you also have to put up, you know, a, a uh, Star of David or, you know, this Buddhist thing. They're going to take the, the most extreme examples, you know, Satanism. And, and so it's like, well, if you're going to if you're going to pl- uh, promote Christianity on this uh, government building, then uh, it's only right and American that you also promote Satanism. Okay. So they're showing the hypocrisy of uh, of a uh, government, you know, mixing with religion. And uh, if you think about it, it's very smart. Yep. Yeah, oh, so smart. they're not just doing these things just to like cash in, just to make some some cake. No, I don't think they, I don't think they oh, even make okay. money. I think because right. a lot of the people in the documentary didn't weren't shown because they have regular jobs, so they didn't oh, want okay. to. Be, so they did that. In fact, they, they didn't even want the statue up if they weren't going to put up the Ten Commandments. Right. Right. And, uh, like they have this thing, it's, uh, Satan is, it's like an after school thing where, uh, uh, like they, they have like coloring books and stuff for kids, mm-hmm. like a Satanist after school thing. And that's the same way. Cause like a Chris, like a church group will come in and it'll be disguised as like they're helping out kids. But at the same time, it's really to promote, uh, you know, the Bible to the kids. Yeah. And like. Well, if you do that, then you also have to have an after-school special where we promote you know, Satan to the kids. Oh, okay. All right. Now, this makes sense to me, then. Yeah. Yeah. It's really well made. Very powerful, too. Uh, uh-huh. Very good. Very good. Oh, very good. Uh, happy Face. Uh, happy Face was great. I interviewed the director. I also interviewed the director, um, Fail Satan, Penny Lane. That'll be a special Easter oh, very uh, show. Nice. That one looked happy- disturbing just from the trailer. Yeah, Happy Face, very good. Not uh, yeah. not really a horror movie. It's mm-hmm. a, about uh, about a kid who's dealing with the grief of his uh, mom dying from cancer, and he infiltrates a support group for people who are disfigured. Mm-hmm. He's not disfigured, but he pretends he is to get in right. the support group. Very well-made movie, very powerful again. Uh, they use real disfigured people. Yep. And when I talked to the director, it's autobiography, you know, not totally autobiographical, but he did deal with the loss of his mom at an early age, died from cancer. And uh, so there's a lot of him in the movie. Okay. And this movie, it has D&D in it. And I mentioned this to him, Alexandra Frankie, that because um, I see D&D and stuff. And you could tell being a D&D player like me and Troy. Mm-hmm. You could tell when it's just stuck in there and the person really never played D&D. Like, oh, yeah, as much yeah. as I like Stranger Things, I don't think the people who wrote it ever played D&D. <laughs> right. Which is fine. But yep. they're just here. You know, but when I was watching this, I was like, oh, this person's played D&D and knows what it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty neat then. So I didn't see Knife and Heart, um, but... Uh, I do have the uh, the screener possibly interview coming up, so I do want to watch this. And I explained to it on the last interview, and they said it was exactly right. It's like a Giallo, which is a Italian horror movie version of Cruising. 
Oh, really? That's mm-hmm. kind of neat, then. So it does make me want to uh, definitely get to watch this. Yeah, I like the trailer for it. That one, that one kind of had me intrigued, too. Yeah. Uh, Mo, oh, I mentioned uh, we just did the interview for a great movie. Uh, it's not necessarily like an enjoyable film in a traditional watching. sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's you could say that though great. about Taxi Driver too, though. Oh, of course, yeah. You know, because it's like there's a movies. lot of like, yeah, right, right, kind of uncomfortable movies. Yeah, it starts off very. Uh, there's a lot of comedy, and then it's it's kind of switches its tone halfway through, which as I I said to this before, but like, it really hooks you into the characters, and you get emotionally invested in these guys, and it really makes everything that happens after that that much more heartbreaking okay it really captures like the the desperation and the sadness of all the people that are working you know in the in the pornography uh business and this is like low-end pornography it's not like you know uh like porn stars oh okay this not is like low-end stuff you know kicked and getting kicked on the balls and bukkake and oh stuff like okay that. I did not know getting uh, getting your balls busted was like a thing. Oh I, no, I didn't know that either. I'm kind of unhip, I guess, with that. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think it's something I want to look, look into. Like I really no, want to watch no. it. Just getting their, their balls kicked in. So you don't think this could be a new career or something? No, no, not seeing it. No, great performances. Uh, I forgot to really even mention, but uh, Nathan, who plays. Uh, Steve in the movie's great, and Kelly plays Dom's great. But uh, just for me, I guess say Brian Husky, who plays Eric, the porn uh, director, amazing in the movie. Really? Amazing. He reminds me of, Van, of our friend Dave Van. If oh, no Dave kidding. Van directed, you know, ball-busting movies, yeah. <laughs> Which maybe he does now. It's been a little while, I don't know. Well, yeah, I could see him as a director, but he's... He's a little fragile for, I think, like doing the actual, you know, being a performer, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just a man of glass. And that's <laughs> like he, his bones are glass. I, I would assume his testicles are very uh, sensitive. Well, yeah. I don't know. Unless maybe I don't have he's it. reversed. Like, yeah, he's like hey, he's true. He's got got balls, balls of steel. steel. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but this is all guesswork. Yeah. Yeah, right. Because I don't really have, uh, I don't have a lot of knowledge on on the testicles of uh, David. <laughs> no, no. But I, I always like to say people's entire names. No, without a doubt, it's always better that way. Uh-huh. Uh, Tone Deaf, a great movie. Well, uh, this was possibly my favorite. I think Mope, Mope, maybe the best movie. But Tone Deaf might be my favorite movie. Oh no, kidding! I, I, I don't think you happy mentioned this one to me. Oh, it's so good. This uh, a tone deaf. Um, what's the actor's name? He played uh, Terminator Two. Oh, oh, Robert Patrick. Okay, yep. So the setup. You did mention it to me. This sounded so good. Yeah. So the setup is Robert Patrick is an older guy, and he's lived the you know life. And his wife is dead, and so he wants to experience things, you know, while he's still here. And one thing he hasn't experienced is murdering somebody. So mm-hmm. I love that premise. Yep. And it's this weird movie where it's both very serious, but it's also incredibly hilarious. And all the uh, comedy is very deadpan. 
And so Robert Patrick, like uh, every once in a while, will just look right into the camera and start talking about like his hatred of millennials. And so there's one point in the movie where a young guy talks about having dreams to do this or whatever. And he just stops and looks at the camera and he goes, in my day, we didn't have dreams. And I just thought that was just one of the greatest lines. Yeah, I dig that. uh You know, because it it just takes up the whole idea of, you know, back in my day, we did blah, blah, blah. But (laughs) back in my day, we didn't even have dreams. I know. Yeah, that was a bleak time to live in, I guess. (laughs) So Tone Deaf was fantastic. Uh, Water Horse, great uh, short film. Very well made. Uh, Werewolf, I liked, but... It's very well. I have no negative to it. Uh, actually, I agreed with uh, when I was talking to Michael Epstein about the movie. Uh, no real no negatives to the movie. It just wasn't what I was expecting. I was expecting an actual werewolf movie. Mm-hmm. And but it's more it's it's a metaphor for werewolves and it's uh, real life monsters and Nazis. Oh, and, okay. uh, and 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 then uh, sort of where it's uh, their dogs are coming after them. It's a very well-made movie, and all the kids are tremendous in it. I have to say, some of the best uh, young actors I've seen in movies. Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. That's one There's thing i got to say, Neil, on a weird side note, is that lately, over the last, like, maybe 10 years or so, there's been a lot of great young, like, performances, you know, like, That's performances cool. from, from young actors. Uh-huh. And it just, until you just said that, I haven't realized it, but there's a lot more things that I was like, wow, those kids were really good in than things that I walked away going, wow, those kids all sucked. Mm. You know, lately, I, I can't remember the last, like, you know, child actor that I was just like, wow, that was pretty poor. Uh-huh. I agree. I agree. So, yeah. Uh, definitely worth checking out. A lot of good stuff. I I, I uh, recommend uh, Buff in general. And if you can't, if you don't, ha- if you can't make it to New England, there is probably a Buff style uh, festival in your area where it's like it's cool because it's. I like all of them, but the when you go to these local ones, well, I can't even say that because uh, lo- I am local, so it's very cool. But when I had the same feeling when we went to uh, Buffalo. Oh right, that, or when it, you went to London now. Yeah, there's a definitely there's a community there. Yeah, and it's a uh, it's very uplifting, and it's a very positive community because there are some people um, that like they're having their movie directed by uh, John Carpenter, I think, and they Whoa. they've been to Buff years, and, and like ever you would think like they would be like, oh man, fuck this guy, you know. Yeah, but it was all very positive. Like people were happy for them. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, people. Oh, it's want good to, to hear it. too. You know, yeah. something like that. Yeah, we see people do well, and uh, everyone's uh, very positive, and you know, collaborating with people and, and supportive of each other and stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great to hear. Yeah, so I hope uh, uh, so. People want to meet you, Troy. So you got to get out to one of these. Even if you just yeah. came out for a day, you don't have to stay all five days. Right, right. I'm hoping maybe next year I can I can make the scene with you for at least a yeah. day or so. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good. But I know Jim, Jim McDonough is looking forward to meeting you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a dude I'd I'd love to meet. Like, just, we have so much fun just talking with him. Yeah, yeah. And, Phil, and then when Phil, I saw him with the Viking helmet, I was like, I was sold. Yes, yes, 
Yeah, he 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 is a Viking. I don't know if you know. In real life, he's a Viking. Oh, very cool. Mm-hmm. With with a with a uh, fur coat and a whip. Okay, all right, that's good. With aviator glasses. All right, that that's a win-win. Exactly. His buddy Phil Healy. Uh, I met him last year briefly, but uh, talked a lot more to him. He was very cool. We're gonna have him on the show at some point. The local oh, uh, filmmaker. He he his uh his name was in every credit I think of the homegrown horror movies. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, it's like he just did everything. No, not really. But he was he had several of them. Very nice. Very good guy. He was the guy who said your your artwork was uh was looked like Chrome. Oh, too cool. Well, I'll tell you, like of great compliments I have received. That is right up there. That's right up there when um somebody had told me that the uh oh the uh creature from the black lagoon caricature that i, I did mm. for uh for benny chapman reminded mm-hmm. them of jack davis and so that's right up there. yeah yeah that's pretty awesome all right troy so uh this, this isn't horror but i want to see dumbo it opens tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I got to say, the second trailer that I saw for it made it look a lot less bleak than the first uh, one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I want to see it. I might, I'll probably go up. Uh, I might go see it and us. Well, I definitely want to see us, too. Yeah. I love Get Out. I'm going to I'm gonna go out on a limb, though, Neil. I'm going to say you're going to hate Dumbo. I can't I remember so. the last Tim Burton movie that you liked. Very true. There, I used to love Tim Burton movies, yep. but not for a long time. I probably, probably, probably. Plus, I like hate like uh, you hate everything hate, about like, this movie, Neil. You like you you like hate kids movies. CGI. You hate kids movies, and you uh, uh-huh. you hate Tim Burton. So I can't yeah, see I any reason that you're going to like this movie, movie at all. Why do I want to? Why do I want to go see you? You like elephants? No, I'm wondering. I do like elephants. I like. I kind of like the bleakness of the first the first trailer. Okay, um, it's like a bleak, like the depressed guy. Like, yeah, so if they lock Dumbo away and he can't fly and they're mean to him, then you might uh-huh. enjoy the movie. So, yeah. yeah, like, fuck yeah. Hell yeah. I don't know what, why that is, but I do like like depressing things. Like music. <laughs> oh, I do too. I, I like, I range from depressing things to violent things, and I'm right. not a very violent or depressed person. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, it's not, that's not, I'm not like, that's all I like. Mm-hmm. Kind of like like a lot of just bizarre things. It could be real stupid. I mean, I I'm like the only person in the world who like the who like the the Holmes that new Holmes movie. Oh yeah, yep, the Holmes and Watson. Yeah, everyone's like the worst movie ever made, and I'm like, I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> it is. It is one of the worst movies ever made. I'll agree with that. <laughs> But I don't think being one of the worst movies ever made and being funny have to be mutually exclusive. Oh, yeah, yep, yep. Because you like um, that, uh, what's his name, Tom Green movie there. Freddy got fingered. Yeah, yeah. I think, I don't know if it was offered or not, but yeah, I think it was offered. I just talked to uh, the, the two guys. It's, I know, as a movie, it's nearly unwatchable. Yep. But I like. The fact that he made this movie and tried to—he's—he's tr- he's trolling the audience, and not just the audience. He's like Hollywood 
the people that were giving them money to to make the movie. I like that because yeah. I can I can relate to that. I do like I do like to piss people off. It was a good career move. I had to fight because like was you know, a he... terrible. Thing. <laughs> it ruined his career. One of the hottest like acts in the country or in the world, and then he became. Now he just does like a he does like a podcast like us. I guess. Uh, which there's nothing wrong with that. No, no. But when you were like a you know big huge TV star and yeah. going on to possibly have a TV a movie career, you know it was probably not smart. <laughs> it's really weird because he like I've seen him be more not necessarily mainstream but more accessible in his comedy. He's very good at that. But I think he wants to be he wants to be Tom Green. Or he just is Tom Green. It's not even that he wants to be. That's who he is. He can't break so away from get... it. It's like, right. this is me. Yeah, which I respect. I like it. I don't know. I kind of think I think Human Centipede 3 is the same thing. Yeah, that's I think a movie human... that I also can't watch. And... Yeah, I, as a movie, oh, it's unwatchable. I, but I do think he he uh, he made it to be that way. But that said, I do not want to watch it again. I watch it twice, and it's this. I I can't stand the movie. This coming from a guy. I guess guess there's some artistic like integrity behind that, but I don't know. I'd rather like watch something or read something that like is quality, and Uh, it's like you know something somebody's proud to make. Yeah, I do think there's genius in that, but. But also, is there was there any wisdom into doing that? Like, <laughs> yeah, and I, I just I don't know. That's kind of kind of like a lot of masturbation right there. Because like I, you know, <laughs> that's great that you did that, but so fucking <laughs> you what? Wasted, you know, you wasted like, all these people's time, yeah, and money, and like you know, yeah, yeah. And you probably really annoyed a lot of people. So uh-huh. I don't know. I could, you know, maybe I could appreciate like the chutzpah to do something uh-huh. like that, but I don't know. I'd rather have a good finished product myself. There's something to me that that appeals to me, though. I have to admit, the idea of pissing a lot of people off, that appeals to me. I, I don't know why. Yeah, I, I mean, I have no problem with that. I have to fight that, that feeling because I want to put out a good show, but there, there is part of me that would like to just put out just something so awful and think just, of like people sitting there and listening <laughs> Just doing like that Andy Kaufman kind of thing that like, you know, right. people are like, what the hell That's is a- is Jonesy thinking? He's like made the That's- worst fucking podcast ever. That's another thing is I don't think he's funny at all. I don't think oh. Andy Kaufman is a funny man. It was worth was a funny man. I don't think his stuff's humorous. I think it's a- but I like the idea of it. I like the idea of just being up there and annoying people. I, I don't know why. I don't know why that appeals to me, but it, it definitely does. <laughs> well, you see, where I'm, I'm, I'm a person that I'm, I'm definitely like a fan of like pissing people off. Huh? If if you did something that was worth <laughs> doing, you know, because uh-huh. there's a lot of like crumb comics that like are are really he made to like infuriate people. But they're really well done. Mm-hmm. And like, so I have no problem with like, 
you know, annoying mainstream society. But as long as you're already good audience. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's kind of like, you know, like um, with centipede three, like, you know, I love centipede one. I really enjoyed centipede two. And then like, you know, Hey, I think I'm kind of the target audience. So let me in on the joke. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, did I lose you? No, I'm still here. Oh, Can you hear okay. me? Yeah. 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 But no, I agree. Cause like, because like, uh, Tom Green already was kind of like, he wasn't necessarily mainstream yet. So like you're, if you're annoying your own audience and the people that actually believed in you and were going to give you money <laughs> to do something, yep. it is very weird. And, and then uh, Tom Six with the Human Centipede movies, there already is like this very, it's a fringe audience to begin with, mm-hmm. even though it did break out mainstream in a way because it was parodied on you know, South Park and Code O'Brien. Oh, God, stuff. yes. But I think it's actual fan base that went to see the movie. You know, it's a different thing. But I do have to say this. I, I, I don't, I don't want to belittle anyone or judge anybody out there, but people that legit like Human Centipede three and think it's a good movie. I those are people I just uh, I I question. <laughs> you shake your head at their right, right. taste. Yeah, like I'll, I won't judge them. Like they might be fine people, but I would never I would never listen to their recommendation of, of anything. Right, right. Like that's kind of how I felt with you, the people that like it. Mother. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, man. I can't really take your opinion too seriously after that. Because that movie was awful to me. I think with Mother, it's just people that... See, it's the opposite of... So there's people... The people like Mother say you're a nitwit. You're just a moron. You don't get it if you if you don't like it. Yep. But the thing is, I think it's so obvious. The movie, mm-hmm. like, it's so ham-fisted. The imagery and stuff. That, like... It, it's like a smart movie for dumb people. So like, <laughs> you think like, oh, I get this. I'm a very smart, you know, artsy person. But you really just like it's so obvious that anyone would get it. So yeah. it just like it lets you you feel like you're smarter than you are. Yeah, I think you're right. You're you're probably right. It's like, oh, brother, where are you? Art thou like for dopes? <laughs> right. Right. It's like, you know, we're not going to be as subtle as like the Cohen brothers. And, uh, but if you don't like it, then, uh, you're an idiot. Yeah. That, that whole, whole idea lately, that's this thing. Um, like if you don't like these modern horror movies, it's cause you don't get them. And it's like, well, I get, there's not really that heredity is not that hard to get. I just didn't really care for it. I, <laughs> right. I, I would not say I hate the movie at all. I, I didn't hate heredity. I just didn't think it was that good. Mother, I thought was just horrible. Yeah, it was just laughable. Yeah, now it's just like it's just like you could. It's almost like like the fake news thing. It's like, (laughs) oh, I don't like the news they're saying, so it's fake. It's like, well, I don't, I don't want to listen to why this person didn't like this movie. They're just dumb and don't understand. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, it's just a catch-all for for any like negativity. Right. Right. You just don't get it. Yeah, like, oh, I get it. It's that hard to get. <laughs> yep, buddy. <laughs> but yeah, I want to see us. 
Um, it's a polarizing movie. I see some people loving it. I see some people hating it. I see some people who don't want to like it because, like, there's a backlash against uh, against Jordan Peele because he is successful. I think. Oh yeah, yep. You always get that. You know, like people love you one minute and then oh, oh jumping mm-hmm. off the bandwagon now. And you know, people. Uh, you know, this is this was like one of the top ten, maybe the top. Um, money making R rated horror movies ever for the opening weekend. So that's yeah, awesome. It was, that's good. Yeah. yeah. And now people are going, you know, ape shit over because he did an interview and he said that uh, he does not foresee himself uh, making a movie with a white lead mm-hmm. because those movies aren't made and he wants to tell stories, you know, for black people. Um, and I didn't see anything wrong with this statement. Yep. But people, are, they're just up in arms, like, oh, he's racist. <laughs> yeah, I didn't understand that. It seemed like people kind of semi-read what he said. Yeah, they just read, like, the headline. Yeah. It didn't really. Because people then took it. I see them, they're saying just, like, he said he'll, he won't hire, he'll never, you know, hire white people. And it's like, that's yeah. not what he said. Yeah, because that's pretty much, you know, like... I can't remember like a Spike Lee movie that's got like, you know, a white lead, but there's a ton of like white characters in his movies that are really yeah. strong characters, you know? Yeah. They've watched like Do the Right Thing or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, get out. There's plenty of white people in it. Oh, yeah. Yep. I don't know. I mean, he, he and let, it's like they act like, you know, now that we'll never see white people get in movies because Jordan <laughs> Peele doesn't want a white lead in this movie. And he didn't even say like it would never happen. He said, I don't foresee it. Yep, yep. Then I see, like, he's hate. He's hate. You're full of hate. I'm like, that's not full. He's actually married to a white woman. So I don't think he's like, hates white people. Now, if he just said like, I hate whitey and <laughs> I'll never you know, have white people in my movie and I'll that never hire my set. Movies. Yeah, then I can see like, oh, that's kind of questionable, but the, uh... yeah, <laughs> yeah, but otherwise it's kind of like you know, uh, like some of the negative thing that you heard last year about like the Black Panther after it made like so much. Yeah, oh, there's two white people in the whole movie. Well, yeah, it's because it takes place in this like, you know, in fictional Africa. place in Africa that yeah. uh, you know, and it's not like how people there. Yeah, and how, how many movies are just filled with white people? I mean, <laughs> yeah. we have enough. I'm a white guy. I'm not saying no white people should be in movies, or I'm not even a guy believes in white uh, guilt and all this bullshit. But but we have plenty of movies. Oh yeah, there's plenty. Yeah. If if you only want to white white, white <laughs> watch white movies for some reason, there's plenty of them to choose from. Mm-hmm. Or there's or not, you know, if you want like Asian movies, you know, you can see movies with like a totally Asian cast, you know. Yeah. Now, Woody has Woody Allen ever had like a black lead in a movie? I don't believe he don't has. Think. No. Yeah. It's just like he's, he's, you know, when you're making a certain kind of movie, you're probably going to make movies that relate to you. I mean, you're right, not right. That, not this, it's not that mind blowing, people. No, no. It's, yeah, you're right. It's, uh, but then, you know, I've heard people, you know, that I've been around, like, oh, well, why is there, you know, like, 
a black history month is not a white history month. Like, well, every it's month every is day. white history month, dude. Like, right. you know, come on. Right. In a, in a perfect world. Okay. In a perfect world where every, everything was equal and all our histories were the same, then yes, that would make sense. Oh yeah. Well, if, well, if then you there wouldn't find be a, 12, you know, groups that like each month. Right. And then know, see the Asian thing, then they wouldn't even month. be. Right, or people are like, well, why is it their straight pride parade? And it's like, because there doesn't need to be. <laughs> right. Because you, you weren't, like, told you're going to hell because you're straight. Yep. You weren't, like, beat because you were straight. Or you weren't allowed to marry your your, your lover because you were straight. None yep. of that existed. That's why the other one does exist. Now, in a perfect world, with would there be all well there in a perfect world there wouldn't be need for any of them right it would just right, be exactly. you know every day it would be do whatever the hell you want to do day. yeah i don't think like the future wouldn't hold like you know well this is our month and this is our parade it's like <laughs> now it'll right. probably be like an everybody's cool doing whatever the hell they yeah, do you know, eventually time. right yeah, yeah that that's the goal in, in yep. life Unless you want yeah. to have like check with little kids or something, then you know you don't get a month, folks. It's right, right. <laughs> yeah, pedophile, pedophile parade. Pride. Yeah, no, no, you don't get one. Sorry, kids. Right. Right. Yeah, right. bestiality, pride, <laughs> and so no, no one goes nuts. We're not comparing being gay to being a pedophile or, oh, no no not at all oh, you know people will go crazy now and we'll take things out of context oh yeah yep yep the in your head boys said they want this no right right so yeah so uh i don't know what any of that had to do with horror movies but yeah, I don't know how our tirade went started on that one, but we just got we went off the rails a little. I think it was bit. Jordan Peele. Jordan okay, Peele. you're right. You're right. Blame him. I had to say the scary stories uh, to tell in the dark. Everything about it looks awesome, but oh. I have absolutely nothing. I don't know anything about uh, scary stories to tell in the dark. I think I got a copy of it. I'll, I'll bring it over and show you, mate. Like really. The illustrations are the spookiest thing I've ever seen in a kid's book. They're awesome. Just absolutely tremendous. I heard I how they the were great... ever at a school library because, yeah. like, really, this is a shit like nightmares are made of. And I heard through the grapevine that a certain uh, horror podcast may be having interviews from said film in the, in the coming Ooh. month here. Ooh, Should definitely. Pretty awesome. So I've been looking forward to this forever. Since the dawn of time, I've been looking forward to uh, the TV show version of uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Such a great movie. Like, I remember, I think you were the one that hooked me on to it. You told me about it. I had never even heard of it. And then. Just fell in love with it. Just absolutely very excited. Everything it, about that movie was. Oh great. yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's hilarious. It's it's original. Yep. And so I didn't even know that it started, but I saw someone mention on Facebook. So I was like, oh shit, it's on. So I went and I found the episode. It's it's on on demand on FX. No kid. Oh, I didn't know either. Start watching it. And I was like, oh, this is this the uh, like a lamer version of the movie. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh no! It's I'm just a watered-down version of the movie. Yeah, I was not impressed. Oh boo! None of the same people. Oh man! So it's one of those things. Like if you haven't seen the movie, maybe you'll dig it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Even like, oh, I man. Mean, even Doug Jones is in it though. That's no kidding. It's oh man, I really want to like it. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep watching it because yep. maybe my expectations were too high, or maybe yeah. all the characters will grow on me because you know they were different than what I was expecting. But so they instead of a, a Nosferatu type character, they have like it's basically the same thing, but he's like this more of an e well not evil, but he's just a different looking old vampire, I guess. Oh, and yeah. it. it Doug Jones. Oh, all right. Well, that's and that's kind of neat. Yeah, and this one talks. Oh, but does he does he have like kind of a raspy? Does he not talk much? He talks like a demon, but then he just kind of talks normal. Oh, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't can't have say him I was talk. I can't say I was really into it. Man, that's the scene. That's disappointing. Seemed like a rehash of the movie, and not as funny. Ah. It is the 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 guy that made? Oh, I can't think of the guy's name. The guy that made. Uh, he's one of the producers. Three. Oh, okay. yeah, he's he one of the producers. Or directed. No, but one of the other guys did. I'm not sure which one. Um, might be the guy from uh, Fly the Concords. Oh, okay. So I'm gonna keep watching it though, and maybe once I get used to to the new characters and stuff, I'll like it more. But. And, well, I can't say I was impressed at all by the Aww. first episode. I didn't hate it. It's just like kind of a lamer version of the... the yeah. Movie. Yeah, sometimes those can be even worse, though, when you're just like, yeah, it's just kind of lame. Um, I, I like these Hulu Into the Dark uh, movies, the horror movies. Every month they do one that's themed to the, to a, uh, to a holiday. And okay, uh, yep. coming up for April is I'm Just Fucking With You. It's their April Fool's uh, horror movie. Oh, nice. She has a good, good name. It is a great name. I like that. Mm-hmm. Sad times. One of, uh, I thought one of our best guests on the show, Joe Pilato from Day of the Dead. Oh, yeah. Passed away. Very sad. Absolutely. He was just like the funniest like guy. Just uh just so full of energy and just, you know, craziness. Mm-hmm. Uh another one is uh and I really regret we never got to talk to him. Maybe not his number to set up the uh the interview, but for some reason it never came about. Uh someone who made some of my favorite movies, Larry Cohen passed away. I know, I heard that too, yeah. So it was it was definitely like a sad weekend. Yeah, possibly my favorite like low budget horror movie. This this stuff. It's either oh, that or Basket Case. Those are yep. two favorites. Two great ones. Mm-hmm. Cue the Winged Serpent. A lot of great stuff. Oh yeah. So if you saw like you know like a kind of shaky horror flick with um with Michael Moriarty in it. Right. Chances are good that he made uh-huh. it. Yeah. It was always so weird when I got. Because, like, when I was older, he's like this uh, actor that's like winning, like, you know, Emmys and stuff. 
And I was like, that's the guy from fucking. Not that he's bad in Cuba Wings. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, stuff. yeah. I'm like, the guy from the stuff is like this <laughs> award winning actor. What What is going on? This is very, <laughs> it was very weird. The world's gone mad. Yeah. Uh, now, now it's probably not that big of a deal because, like, big actors go to TV and whatever. But at the time, it was very strange. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Here's a guy that, you know, won, won an Emmy for uh, what? Um, the Holocaust. Yeah, Holocaust. Right. Like, yeah. uh, and then went on to be like the first DA on Law and Order and stuff, you know, like a huge show. Uh huh. So, yeah, maybe Moriarty should have stuck with the old TV. Although then we wouldn't have had, like, you know, the stuff in Q. Which oh, oh exactly. So, yeah. exactly. So I can't really complain, I guess. No. No. So I'm looking forward to uh, Three from Hell. Oh, me too. Is that is that, like, in October? I think so. Probably. Gotta be good. Yep. What does it? After me, but I, I hope. <laughs> no, you hope it is. Uh-huh. I, I like most. Cast, I think. Uh, it does. I think. I think it's going to be a good one. Yeah. Uh, Zach Gaffron's playing uh, Ted Bundy. Oh no, kidding! Mm-hmm. People have really, really fallen in love lately. Yeah, I think so. It's funny because some people are pissed. Like, why would you get this good-looking guy? It's like, well, he was a good-looking dude. You wouldn't get some ugly guy to play him. (laughs) Exactly. No, I think think that's a good choice. So I'm definitely Uh, looking forward to that. When when is that going to be? That's coming to Netflix. Oh, sweet. Not sure when exactly, but yeah, I think they're making it now. But um, it's weird that people, like, have rediscovered Ted Bundy. It's like, I think a lot oh, of people yeah. don't even know he exists. And then all of a sudden, he's Ted Bundy's making this big comeback. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that is kind of weird how things like that kind of work. Yeah. I guess it's just do. He's finally getting his name out there again. He's a great <laughs> Ted Bundy. <laughs> One of your favorite uh, Bundys, right up there with King Kong and Al. Right. Yeah, Bundy. Yeah, Bundy's are pretty cool. Yeah. Lost King Kong Bundy recently too. I know, and that was a shame. Just a, a really, yeah. really nice guy. Like I like King Kong Bundy a lot. Yeah, huge fan of huge fan of King Kong Bundy. I love the uh, the eighties wrestling era. Yep. And he was one of those guys. Like when we got to meet him at one of the conventions, and like he was just you know. Just as cool as you would hope he would be. Mm-hmm. I just thought, like, Bundy was all that, man. Yeah. All right. Well, anything else, Troy? I'm kind of sleepy tonight. I hate to uh, end the show too early, but. I, I, I think we've pretty much gone over everything uh, that we were planning. All um, right. Anything coming up? Uh, this next well, I'm going to be going to stuff uh, the uh, South Texas Underground Film Festival. That's not till uh, January. See, so have plenty of time. Uh, okay. Coming up in a couple weeks here, though, uh, the man who shot Don Quixote, the man who killed Don Quixote. Oh, that's right. 
cool. Um, if if you guys are anywhere near, um, anywhere where the Fathom events take place, mm-hmm. uh, I know like Neil and I have been looking forward to this movie for literally years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's going to be at like select theaters through Fathom events. One of my favorite things, I just think like, you know, what they do is just so cool. And we've had really good luck. All the, I think all the films we've seen through them, Neil, like we've enjoyed like that wrestling documentary and mm-hmm. I forget what else we've seen, but I know it's been a ton of good stuff. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. One night theatrical event, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Yep, it's going to be awesome, I think. Mm-hmm. Adam Driver, it's got a really good cast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what's the guy from... Oh, what is his name? The British actor that was uh, in Brazil and... Mm. Whose name always escapes us. Yes, that's exactly him. Yep. Going to be wild. I'm looking forward to it. But like I said, literally years in the making. (laughs) I thought it would never actually happen. It was uh, being made. Then then, uh, all these things happened where it stopped being made. They made a documentary about it. It was heartbreaking. Oh, then he yeah. then he started making it again, and then like there's a lawsuit, so someone else owned it, and they didn't think it was ever going to come out, and it's finally actually out. Yep. Imagine if all, all this after all this time, it just sucks. Oh my god, that will be. You want to talk about heartbreak? If we go and see it in a couple of weeks, and we're like, <laughs> wow, what a big pile of shit that was. That'll be our documentary. We'll be like, <laughs> exactly. Want <laughs> to see this for years? So then we go. <laughs> the fuck are you doing? What yep. the hell was that? Like, our documentary will be Fuck Gilliam. That'll be the name of our <laughs> documentary. Yeah. I'd be like, what the hell? You're out there like, oh, fucking comic book movies and you make this <laughs> Grumpy old man. Grumpy old I hate the story. I hate that that's the guy based on just the idea it might be bad. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Let's hope. We'll hope for the best. Right. right Prepare right. for the worst, but hope for the best. So premiering on uh, CBS All Access on April Fool's Day, Nightmare at 30,000 30, Feet and the Comedian for the new Twilight Zone. Get out of town. Very oh, that's fabulous. Yes, I have to, I'll have to. I think I'll have to get the CBS All Access just to see that. Oh, it's a, it's you can only get it through like the streaming thing. Yeah, yeah. God, there's too many streaming things, Chief. I know, I know, because like it'd be one thing if it was on Hulu or yep. Shutter because they all that other stuff. But what, what, what am I getting on CBS All Access? I'm just getting the Twilight Zone. Does that also have the Star Trek one that you can only get on there thing or now I'm thinking like it wouldn't be, it would be worth, then I could like binge watch all that. Yep. So maybe it'd be worth if, it if to that, get it well. Hopefully it's not like that's the ABC, you know, <laughs> know. online thing. <laughs> right. So it's like, well, watch, watch our channels on, you know, cable TV that you're paying for and then pay us extra to watch, you know, yeah. 
our good stuff that we're not showing on the regular TV that we're only making for yeah. a streaming thing. I, yeah. I don't know if I'm liking this trend, Neil. No, it's too many. Like it says, too many. Got a lot. I mean, I love Shutter and Netflix and Hulu mm. and Amazon, but you I mean you start getting ridiculous here after a while. Yeah, if you start getting one for like any niche thing, you know, like because uh-huh. I know, like when when the Disney Plus one comes out and it's going to have their Marvel thing attached to it, yeah. you know, their Star Wars thing. I know I'll be getting it, mm-hmm. but it's like I'm hoping not every single. Um, TV network and like movie studio and everything yeah, else has their own separate thing, and you've got to get them all. Yeah, because FX has their FX Plus, and with right. it, like you can like watch all the shows like every episode before like they come out. Oh, right, and then like their on demand doesn't have ads or something, isn't that? Yeah, one of their I, think so. I don't think they have. I don't think they're on demand is as big as a, I think they don't have, I think they only have like the last few episodes of shows, but if you get the other oh, one, you can watch all the episodes. I don't think oh, they go back a lot of seasons either. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I might be wrong. I might just made that up, but it sounded, <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like you knew what you were talking about. Though, so I didn't question it at all. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, well, what I used to watch he's talking about, I'm not going to mess with <laughs> I, I I remember when I used to watch, um, I think it was Sons of Anarchy. I think that was FX. And, like, they only would have, like, the last three episodes or something. But I don't know if that's changed since then. That was a few years ago. Oh, okay. Um, like I said, I'm going to have to take you at your word on that one, Neil. Since yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh-huh. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a thing. <laughs> All right, so Troy, so there'll be some, there'll be uh, some more interviews popping up, uh, audio ones and video ones. I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna start doing them. Uh, even the video ones that I've done in video, I'm also gonna put them on podcast too, so everyone can. Oh, sweet! Uh, so they'll pop them up every way. Yeah, I was gonna put them all in one show, but I think everyone deserves their own podcast. So I'm gonna put them up uh, throughout the throughout the next few days. Oh, that sounds like fun. I look forward to that. Yeah, so that'll be very cool. And then uh, next week here on the show, we are going to have uh, the director of Assassinat. Awesome. And probably a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of people wanting to come on. I got to schedule these things and get it all worked out because the the more the show goes on, the more people want to come on. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. That That makes me feel good. Right. I'll be in it was gonna happen tomorrow, but it's been rescheduled to next week. Uh on Inside Your Head oh, oh. is the night rider himself, David Hasselhoff will be on. Oh, that's just friggin' awesome. That's pretty well. Yeah. I never thought I'd interview David Hasselhoff. No. And the last thing I saw um well, actually, the last thing I saw him on was uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. You That's know, when true. He makes the, the little appearance there as Star-Lord's dad for a second. Right. And then they did a great video. Did you ever watch it? They have mm-hmm. a music video from that. Mm-hmm. And Hasselhoff, like, sings. Mm. It's tremendous. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, I definitely saw that. Dave Batista's like, I think he's playing guitar or something. It's it's uh-huh. just all around just badass. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty sweet. Very cool. All right. Well, I had a great time. Join us next week. Till next week, this is Nasty Neil. And this is Terrible Troy. And this is without your head. <laughs> <laughs> I
She didn't do it for me. 